Supper talking about communion because that's where we have ended up um, in the Bible here. So we're going to talk about communion. And um, as you can see in your bulletin, under the sermon notes, I really broke it down to one, two, three, four questions there, um, which I hope will be helpful for you. Just kind of a way to think about communion and the Lord's Supper. And so the question I wrote down is, you know, why is Protestant celebration, so we would be considered a Protestant church, why is Protestant celebration of communion different? What does taking part in communion mean? What should we be thinking about when we take communion? You know, so they pass it out and we have the stuff and everybody's quiet and being like respectful and, you know, uh, somber and sitting there. Like, is there something we should be thinking about or not thinking about? You know, how does that work? And then, you know, who should not take it? Because the Bible also makes it kind of clear that, hey, like, maybe you should just let the stuff pass by. That might be a good idea too. So we're going to talk about some of that stuff today. And the reason why we are is because uh, in Matthew 26, that's where we end up. So let's read it together, and then uh, we'll dig in here a little bit. Verse uh, 17 is where we are, and let's open up in prayer. God, uh, we pray that you bless our time together, and that you would bless the studying of your word. And uh, we want to better understand... Uh, that last supper that you had with your disciples sitting around the table. And we desire uh, to better understand that and we desire to approach that um, in the right way and in a holy way, in a way that you expect. So you pray that you would open up our eyes um, and ears and that you open up our hearts to that, Lord. And we pray, God, that you would bless uh, the kids downstairs as they learn uh, their lesson about the prodigal son and what a powerful lesson that is, Lord. So we pray that you'd bless uh, Rebecca and her helpers down there. And uh, we pray that you'd give lots of patience and grace uh, to the nursery helpers next door, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, verse 17. So let's check it out. It says, On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, The disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. And he just invited himself over. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. So verse 20, When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they're eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad, began to say to him, one after the other, Surely not I, Lord. And Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. And while they were eating, Jesus took bread. Right? And this is the part that sounds probably very familiar. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So interesting passage, right? Um, Communion, the Lord's Supper, Eucharist. Um, We're going to spend our time talking about that today because this is when it happened, right? This is when it happened. This is when Jesus, he's sitting down at the table with everybody. And they didn't really sit at a table and chair. And actually in those days they kind of reclined. They like kind of sat on the floor and kind of leaned into each other. And that's why when you read John's Gospel, he says... Um, and, you know, he was leaned into the bosom of uh, the beloved uh, disciple, which was himself. They kind of, like, lean into each other. And so they're kind of, like, laying around this table there and having their Passover meal, which turns into our uh, communion. And we're going to take a look a little bit later in 1 Corinthians 11. Um, communion take, has taken on a different form a little bit, and they give it a different name. They call it, like, an agape feast. Um, they didn't use the term t- potluck because they'd actually turn into these big feasts. It wasn't just our time of communion where we get like little cups and you know little stale wafers that don't taste good. Um, they would have like a big feast and kind of it, it would look different. So we're going to spend our time talking about that today. Um, just to catch you up real quick, last week we talked about Judas, the ultimate traitor and betrayer. Right? We showed a picture last week to start off about Benedict Arnold. Right? Probably in American history anyways, the biggest traitor of all time. So if there's somebody to parallel Judas to, certainly Benedict Arnold would fit. And we spent a lot of time talking about how could Judas do it. And then we ta- spent some time talking about how could Jesus let him do it, knowing he was going to do it. And then we closed with an amazing, just an amazing way that the Lord has spoken to speak through the blood money that was used to betray Jesus. And the redeeming, um, the redeeming picture of that is just amazing. Um, so we talked about that stuff last week. And let me also say as a side note, thank you to a few of you out there. Because I said last week um, that there's only two people in the Bible... Um, who committed suicide, which was not totally true. And so I'm glad people fact-checked me on that. That's very good. I like that. We're building biblical literacy. That's good. I don't get offended by that. I like that. Because the fact of the matter is that there was more people that committed themselves. There's two more, so I think there's four in total. Fact-check me. There's four in total. Um, the other two were uh, Saul and his armor-bearer. And what I should have said, I should have said, is that there's only two people in the Bible who committed suicide by hanging themselves on a tree. So that was good. You guys are paying attention, becoming good Bible students, or becoming biblical literate, paying attention to things that are important. That's good. So I thank you. So continue to like remind me, be like, eh, I don't know if that's in there. I read this thing, and I don't know if that matches up with what you said on Sunday. That's good. That's good conversation. That in my mind, that's not like confrontational or conflicting at all. That's good. That's us sharpening each other. So always check me during the week and then ask me about certain stuff. So that's good. I like that. So now we get to right the Lord's Supper. So let's take a look at some of these questions. And then we're actually going to take the Lord's Supper. We'll do communion together. Okay? So first one is, why is Protestant celebration... Uh, different, right? Why does the Protestant celebration of communion seem different? 
So we would be considered a Protestant church. We would be considered part of the protest by Martin Luther. Um, and so this is a Lutheran church. We rent this church from a Mano Lutheran church. They're part of the Lutheran Church of America. And he was the guy that started the whole protest. And so we're part of that movement, kind of. I wouldn't say that we're Lutherans, um, because um, kind of the core doctrines at our church are, are definitely different uh, than the core doctrines of the Lutheran church. But as far as communion goes... Why does the Protestant celebration um, seem to be different? Um, there's names for it. So the Eucharist is probably the most popular name, right? And that's not a bad name. Um, that name actually means to give thanks. It means to give thanks. Um, the way that the Lutheran Church takes communion here would also be different, you know, than the way that we do it. Um, I would say most evangelical churches probably to communion most similar to what we do. So the question is why? Well, just to give you an idea and let you know, um, the most common way, right, in the Catholic Church, um, what they will do is um, they have an altar, you know, very similar to that. And they'll have the, the priest back there, they'll have the elements, and um, it's considered really a sacrament. And we consider it an ordinance. And I know it probably doesn't seem like much and it seems like maybe we're, it's just semantics um, but the way the Catholic Church defines sacraments they, they define it as a type of grace a specific grace that like is received when you take part in it um, that somehow um, adds to your holiness in a way it's hard to describe and um, we consider an ordinance because uh, we believe that Christ has really ordained that we continue in communion. He says to continue in this. And as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So he ordains that. Now the big difference is the way um, the Catholic Church sees Eucharist. So they believe. So when we have, and when we take ours later, right, we'll be back here and we'll take our stuff. And so, you know, they would be up here and uh, they would have other uh, elements and so when they pray over it, and when they bless it, right, and they'll hold it up, and, you know, they do that. And the Lutheran Church actually do that too. Um, but transubstantiation. Everybody say transubstantiation. It's a big word. It's a good hangman word. You should do that one later. So transubstantiation. Um, that's the really the big differing point for, uh, for the Protestant Church and the Catholic Church. So when the priest is up here, uh, he holds it up, he blesses it. And what they believe is that they believe in that moment, in that moment, that Christ, He actually becomes part of the bread. Somehow, some way, He actually becomes part of it. So when we take it, or when people take it, they actually are eating part of His body. And they believe that His blood actually becomes part of the cup. It actually like is in there. So as soon as the priest blesses it and says that, that's what happens. Um, we do not uh, believe that. And um, before I say that, um, the passage um, that they use uh, to talk about and give validity to that is, um, you know, and John, actually no, let's do that. Let's turn to John 6 together so that we can see what I'm talking about. 
Because it's important to understand what we're doing and why we're doing it and why it's different. So we're going to go to John 6. John 6. And we'll... uh, John 6. And we're going to be in verse 53. Verse 53. So John 6, verse 53, page in the Bible? 755. 755. So, verse 53. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. That does sound an awful lot like transubstantiation, don't you think? That's like what we just talked about. Verse 54. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. So you can definitely see where they're getting the idea from, right? I mean, it certainly makes sense of what we're talking about. Verse 56. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks uh, my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue of Capernaum. So we'll go, keep going on here, right? We can't quit here because um, that means we would lose a very, very important part of what happens. Because if you just take it there, it'd be like, well, Jesus, I, I think we probably should be eating Jesus' body as cannibalistic and as weird as that sounds. But we should go further. It's important. So verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Exactly. It is hard. Like, what are you talking about? Verse 41. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? So check this out, verse 63. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to are spirit, and they are life. So that is huge. Verse 63, the Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. So Jesus, what He does, when He says the flesh counts for nothing, what He's saying is, Listen, if I'm telling you to eat my body and drink my blood, you saying, you know what, honestly, the flesh counts for nothing. That's not really the main deal here. The Spirit gives life. The Spirit gives... There would be no value in you eating my body because my fleshly body won't give you life. That's not it. So that's why the Protestant church differs greatly in the idea and the view of communion the Lord's Supper and transubstantiation. So we could use the term Eucharist because it definitely is about giving thanks for what He's done. But the same thinking from our end and from their end is definitely different. The Protestant church would see no value in just eating Jesus' body. Plus, there really is no record of ever God asking his disciples to eat anybody in any way and like have that add to their holiness and add to their grace. So it just really doesn't hold up. 
But you can see where they might get the idea from. But that's where we differ. We don't believe that that follows through all the way. The Lutheran Church, it's very interesting. They take kind of like a hybrid view on it. Um, They believe that there is some sort of transformation that happens with the elements and with Christ, but it still is just the elements. Like, he doesn't exactly change into it. They call it con uh, substantiation. So, it's like this weird thing. Right? So, that hopefully helps a little bit to give you an idea about why we do it the way we do it. Because... Number one, we're not saying that Christ's body like, has become something because I prayed over it, or because a pastor prayed over it. Not saying that. But what we are saying is in verse, um, right here, verse 27, and we're going to go to something else in a minute. It says, Then he took the cup, gave thanks, offered them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Right, what we believe is that this is a new covenant and we're supposed to do it in remembrance of Him. It's just to remember as a memorial. That's the point. It's not like to eat Him. It's to do in remembrance of what He did and what happened. So what should we be thinking about and what does that mean? Well, we're going to get there. But that's why the Protestant Church the way we do things is different. So hopefully that makes a little bit of sense. And I'm going to make you flip one more place. I know we're flipping. 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. So you're in the New Testament. You're going to go to the right. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans... Page 812. So check it out. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. It says, In the following directives, I have no praise for you. So Paul, this is Paul now. This is Paul giving directions to the church on how to handle communion, how to handle the Lord's Supper. And the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meanings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. So these guys are kind of jacked up at this church. Um, but they have like some amazing outpouring of the Holy Spirit in their church. So it's very confusing. Verse 19, No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, the other gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. So they would have like a potluck. The communion thing kind of turned into a huge meal. We called it an agape feast before. And at these particular potlucks, or agape feasts, or Lord's Supper celebrations, um, there'd be a lot of food. Everybody would bring food. And some people would just be running to the front of the line. There'd be people who like would not make, eat maybe all week. This might be the one meal. And here you have somebody knocking them out of line. You have people there drinking way too much wine, and it not going well. 
So it was like this chaotic scene where it's supposed to be the Lord's Supper and agape feast and people are worrying about just filling up and getting drunk. So Paul's like, what are you doing? Like, this is not... Let me help straighten this out for you guys. So in verse 23, he tries to clarify for them. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. So that's what we just read, right, in Matthew. The night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance, right? Don't eat me. Don't say you're eating his flesh. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance. To remember. Verse 26, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we do it in remembrance, right? In remembrance of what he has done. So why is the Protestant celebration different? It really comes down to doctrinal issues. What we actually believe we're doing when we do it. That's why. We actually believe we're doing it in remembrance of what He has done, what He has paid, what the cross entailed, how we should have been in that place, and He took our place for it. And it says we drink it anew until in heaven we have this amazing feast with the Lamb around the table from everybody from all generations, all time. So we just take it and take it until then. So what does taking part in it actually mean? So if we choose to take part in communion, what are we saying? What we're saying when we take part in communion is that, number one, we are saying in agreement that I believe that Jesus Christ has paid for my sin. I am receiving that for myself. I am saying that I should have been on the cross, Jared should have been on the cross, put your name, should have been on the cross, but instead of me, he has taken my place. And what I am saying is that I want him to be Lord of my life in every area. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that I will be perfect, but it's like an agreement, a submission to what He has done. So unless I can really say that, it's appropriate to let the elements pass. Because it's like, if I can't say that, then I'm just doing a thing just to do it because everybody else is doing it. And that's, that's not at all what it's about. Not at all what it's about. It's about one-on-one with Him relationship because at the end, we go one-on-one with Him and give account. And say, well, why were you give, taking communion? Why were you doing such and such? Well, everybody else was. So taking part in it means I stand in agreement with what He has done. I am a part of the new covenant. New covenant meaning we don't have to come up here now on Sundays and grab all kinds of sacrifices. We don't have to bring any pets in or goats or doves and like stand up here and have a bloody mess and sprinkle things and do things, right? That's over. That covenant is over. The new covenant is that one perfect lamb has paid for all sins for all time. 
That's the new covenant. So when we take it, we're like saying, I agree with that. I receive that for myself. That's what we're saying. So the next one here. What should we be thinking about when we take it? What should we be thinking about when we take communion? What should we be thinking about? Um, So this past week, right, we had... It's interesting to be talking about the Lord's Supper and this eating. And this is Lent season. Right? What a contrast. So, Ash Wednesday, you know, just happened. And you know where I teach, it's... uh, you know, they're all there, they're all doing it. And they all got the ashes on the forehead. and um, That's what they're doing. And so Lent, um, basically, um, a Latin term to signify uh, 40 days, and to resemble the 40 days where Jesus had to go out in the wilderness and fast for those 40 days before He really started His ministry. And so the idea is we count down now, um, where the church calendar starts uh, counting down from Wednesday until Easter, right? That 40-day. And the idea um, is to sacrifice and deny um, ourselves in some way um, so that way we can also join in this idea of Lent and sacrificing ourselves. And they have the ashes, right, put on their foreheads to signify that they're like in quote-unquote, quote-unquote, repent mode. Because that's the way they would do in the Old Testament. Man, when they were mourning and they were upset and something happened, what they would do is they put on sackcloth, which is like a really uncomfortable outfit to wear. So you think of the most uncomfortable wool sweater and itchy thing that you have, and you put that on, and then you cover yourself with ashes and you just come like just mourning. And many times in the Bible it's used in a repenting way. Like, oh God, I can't believe we got ourselves in this situation. We are so sorry. Lord God, hear our prayers. We are desperate for you, Lord. And so that is like the way that it's used in the Bible when you're mourning in sackcloth and ashes. And Lent is supposed to be like that. But unfortunately, in many ways, it gets turned into a thing where I'll give up chocolate. It's a lot different than sackcloth and ashes. Um, I'll stop biting my fingernails. Um, You know, it turns into a weird thing to where it's like, there's these things in my life I have to do better anyways, so now I can like use God during Lent to help me get there. That's scary. That's really scary. So, um, I was thinking a lot about that this past week, and I was thinking a lot about it too because um, on our church uh, Facebook page, I posted a couple questions on there. Um, you know, with Lent coming up, and you know, people wanting to, uh, you know, remove themselves from certain things. There's a lot of conversation about you know what people are doing and what they're abstaining from, what they're not going to do, and and then there's also. Um, now you have social media, so now it's like everybody wants to tell everybody, you know, what they're doing and what they want to abstain from. And uh, I just put the question on there, you know, um, you know, how, what do you guys think? What do you feel about other people telling other people like what they're abstaining from and what they're trying to stay away from for a period of time? 
Um, some people could see it as um, they're hoping other people will join with them and pray with them and help keep them accountable. Maybe that's why they're telling other people. Um, it's also certainly possible um, that they could just be seeking attention and want everybody to know what they're doing. And um, in our day and age, in our society, we live in a society where it's like, always look at me, look at me, look at what I do. And so um, it's difficult to try and find that line about where this is really just for God and just for Him, or am I just drawing attention to it for whatever needs that I might have? So it's like a battle, right, that goes on. That This like... Uh, world that we live in where we just get attention drawn to ourselves and we can turn things into um, very easily and without even knowing sometimes just like a really selfish type issue. I'm hoping that the same people that posted certain things or said certain things at the end of 40 days they're not like wow I gave up fast food or I stopped eating chips or I stopped doing such and such. I'm really hoping what they're going to say is man I got closer to God in a way that I have never had before. Like those times I wanted to pick up that chip or have whatever, I spent that time, you know, with God and gave it over to Him. Or I had a big decision to make during that 40 days and I didn't know what I was going to do. But man, God like revealed Himself to me. I, I've never seen Him in such a way like this before. See, it's weird because a lot of times after Lent, you just hear about the accomplishments that have been done. I have stopped this for a certain amount of time. And it's like, alright, you know, I guess that's kind of good. But is that really what we're trying to get to here? And that's like what we want to try to avoid too with communion. Not just do it because everybody's doing it. Or would I look weird if I let it pass by? Or should I not? Like, you know, it's before God. It's just doing it, you know, for Him for the right reasons. So when we're taking it and we're taking communion, what we should be thinking about, I would think the dominant thought in our head is like, man, I should have been on that cross. And it's absolutely incredible that a perfect God would choose to take my place. And even though every fiber of his being did not want to be on the cross, he still did it. What? That's amazing. Pretty much, a lot of times, every fiber of my being wants to do something, I generally do that thing. If it's going to cost me a lot, and it's really going to hurt, I mean, there's a lot of fight back. There's a lot of fight back. But what we're doing, is when we take communion, we're looking at a God who is in a garden, who is agonizing over his decision, and he said, no, not what I want to do, but what you want to do. And that's what we're saying in communion. Not what I want to do, Lord, but what you want to do. Not the way I want to do this thing. Not the way I want to make this decision. Not the way I want to do this, but the way you want to do it. That's like the dominant thought and themes that should be running through our minds during communion time. During the Lord's Supper. Because it's a huge picture of love and self-sacrifice 
That's what communion is all about. It's not just taking a cup and doing a thing because everybody's doing it. It's a pretty heavy-duty thing. And I wouldn't think uh, it's a bad thing. Um, when people at church, this church, other churches, they just let it go by. And they're like, you know what? No. I actually don't want him to own all parts of my life. And that's where I'm at right now. I can respect that. I hope that that would change. Hopefully, over time, that would change and their hearts would change and they want God to take over their lives. But if they're at that place, they're like, you know what? I don't want to and I'm purposely like living so he doesn't get all of my life. Well, okay. That's coming before God in an honest way. And again, I hope that changes. But I think it's better than just taking it, just to take it, because everybody else is. Right? So the last part here, right? Who should not take it? Right? Who should not take communion? Who should not, like, have a part in it and just let it go by? Well, I think we already talked about that. The people that don't want to take communion are the ones that are saying... And actually, let me back up for a minute. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if you take it in an unworthy manner, then you shouldn't take it. If you take it in an unworthy manner, well, it's an unworthy manner. It's very easy to think and judge worthiness by our own idea. Well, I am, I'm not worthy. I, I know me, and I know what I've done, and I'm not worthy. And I think if we go by that, I don't know if we'd ever take communion. Who's really ever worthy? Ever. Of what he's really asking. Really, his grace has covered us, so it makes us worthy. So now the only question we really have to ask ourselves is, am I willing, am I in full submission to what God is asking of me? Not, am I doing it perfectly? Not, how many times did I mess it up this week? Or, how many times did I mess up on the way to church this morning? But, overall, my heart of hearts, do I desire to have Him as Lord of my life? That's the question. And I think that if it's, I'm not quite sure yet, Okay, then maybe God is still working that one out. He's still working that one out. Sometimes the decision just takes some while to work out. You've got to count the cost. got to count the cost. Then I say, man, just let that thing go by. If it's a flat out, no. I came here because so-and-so brought me. I didn't even really want to be here. And Man, you just let that thing go by. It's good. Don't take it in an unworthy manner and like condemn yourself. But in your heart of hearts, God, I am just struggling. I am at this place. I have been at this place. Or I am hiding this. Or I am hiding that. God, help me. Those are the ones that take communion. Man, we are not perfect. We don't have it all together. But we want and we know that we need God's grace to cover us. And that His love and His mercies are never ending the awesome part. So the people that don't want to take communion, the people that don't want to partake in it, those are the ones that are saying, no, 
I don't want him in every area. Or they're saying, you know what? Maybe, but I'm not quite sure yet. So is it a bad thing to let the elements pass and not take it? Honesty is really what matters. It's not a bad thing if you're being honest about it. Now it is my hope and it is my prayer and I'm sure it's probably the hope and prayer of other believers around you if you let it pass and no God I don't want you in there. Now hopefully that would change over time. Yes, that would be great. But it's about honesty right before God. So each and every time, like I think that if we look at the church as a whole, man, when we did, you know, when we take a Eucharist at school, or when we did a Lent, you know, with all the kids, you know, 600, 700 kids going up there, doing their thing, and all of them do it, and then they come right back to class, and they are just like, you know, mean, and just bullying each other, and they're just, and they're kids, you know, I get that. But, I mean, it happened just, you know, on Lent the other day. You know, some kid just like really attacked another kid. We literally just got back in the classroom. And he like said something about the kid's family. And I was like, whoa. And I'm looking at this kid. He's got this huge smudge mark on his forehead, you know. And I'm like, you just did. Like the Ash Wednesday thing. You're supposed to be in repent mode, like mourning before God and like having like a new awareness of who he is. Like you just said in front of everybody you're going to do that. Did you mean it? Did you not realize what you just did? Like, you know? So, I certainly think um, the church as a whole would just look a lot different when um, they actually did things and took part in things when they actually really wanted to. And when they didn't, they just let it pass it by. They didn't worry about who's going to judge them, what they're going to say, because that doesn't matter. We just go for an audience of one. Whatever he says, whatever he thinks. Well, everybody knew that it passed by me. Well, okay, but audience of one, right? Is it settled in your heart that you got God in the first place? Well, yes, but I've been doing this. Okay, that's okay. Still take the communion. Man, still receive his grace because we all need it. So hopefully, communion helps make a little bit more sense. I hope I didn't make it more confusing. Because I've been known to do that too. Um, But I hope it makes more sense. But I hope honestly that it helps just bring a better awareness of what we're saying when we take it together. Because when we do it, (coughs) we do it uh, twice a month. Is there a, a perfect way and a perfect time, you know? Does it have to be wine? Can we grape juice? Does it, you know, what kind of grape juice and what kind of wine and, you know, what kind of stale crackers? It doesn't really matter a whole heck of a lot. Um, frequency, it should be done often. You know, we do it twice a month. You could do it every month. You could do it every Sunday. We could do it every time we get together and meet in groups. It's fine. But however often it's done, whoever's taking it, they're saying, Lord, I want you as Lord of my life. I want you in every area. I might fight back sometimes, but I do. I know that it's right. I want you in every area. God, I know that this week I smacked you in the face by just not obeying you. But I want you in every area. I'm sorry. I repent of that. Right? 
That's who's taking communion. That's what it's about. So what we're going to do is we're going to now take uh, communion in the Lord's Supper. If you'd like to. Right? So hopefully that helped just put in perspective. Like, you know what? Mm, I don't know if I could say I really want God in every nook and cranny. And I understand. Listen, there's not a ton of people here. I get it. Like, so if it passes by, somebody might notice. Yes. But you know what? Like, it's an audience of one. It's really between you and God. And, you know, whatever anybody's going to say or think, which not a lot of that goes on in here, thankfully. Whatever they say and think is whatever. It's between us and God. That's what it comes down to. So if you want to let it pass, we'll let it pass. But if you want to take it and receive the new covenant and again declare, God, you are Lord of my life and I thank you for what you've done, reveal to me further how much you love me, then that's how we take communion. So that's what we're going to do. So Juan, if we could play that uh, song there. We could play it low. Um, we uh, will pass out the elements. And then hold on to them if you are choosing to take it. And then we'll take it together. Uh, in that song uh, I love you Lord I give my life hope that's been renewed Um, God that's what we think about that's what goes through um, our minds and that's what we are saying uh, when we take communion uh, that we give um, our lives that we daily take up our crosses and not that we do it perfectly we are saying that uh, when we do mess up uh, we come repentful before you Lord and Father um, 
We just thank you uh, for the love uh, that you have for us. We honestly will never really know the cost um, that it took for you to submit, uh, to go to the cross for us. How somebody perfect uh, could do it for somebody and all of us who are far, far from it. So we thank you for the grace that we find in communion. We thank you for the love that we find at the table of the Lord's Supper. I thank you for how it joins us together in community because we are all at the same place at the foot of the cross. Not one person here is better than the next with less sin than the next. And so we say uh, thank you for your grace and we ask you for more strength to carry out what you've called us to. So says the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we take the bread and we take. So says, in the same way, after supper he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And so we drink For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's what we do. So if you could, please stand. And we're going to close in prayer together. We're going to close in prayer together. So I understand that there's a... I'm sure that there's at least probably some people that have let it pass... That um, I made a specific point not even to look and acknowledge, see what's going on because it's between you and God. And um, I believe that you probably let it pass, whoever it was, for the right reasons. So that's good. But it is also my prayer and heart's desire that at some point we would all be at the place where we want God to invade and take over every square inch of our heart and lives. So let's pray together. So, God, for those of us who are either on the fence concerning you and concerning following you and giving all of our lives to you, that's a pretty heavy-duty commitment. And really, you promised that it's going to cost and that there will be suffering and that, honestly, it is more difficult than if you were not involved in the picture. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help those people that are on the fence or even just an adamant no for right now, that you would help them work out and deal with the difficulties and the issues and the questions that they may have, Lord. I ask, Father, that as they look to you for answers, that you would provide answers. That as they look to you uh, for better understanding of who you are and what you're about, that you would provide that.
And I pray, God, that you would not be silent as they look to seek you. Because your word does promise that when we seek you with all of our hearts, that we will find you. And God, uh, for all of us, when we do communion, it's also just another time to come clean before you and receive your grace. And we receive your grace, Lord, and we thank you for it. We thank you for how much that you love us, Lord. We pray that that love would not just be received here in communion, but that it would be lived out among our families, among our coworkers, that it would invade our relationships, that it would transform our lives. So may that love that we just received in communion just not stay there in communion. But God, may that love transform everything around us. God, I thank you for this time together. I thank you, Jesus, for the model that you've set. And I pray that as we go out this week, that the enemy would not win by planting all the failures and hitting replay and all the failures and all our shortcomings. But may we combat it with the word and may we live in your promises. And in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.